History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special announcement episode of the History of Persia. As usual, to make up for an announcement that's basically some interesting fluff around asking you, the audience, to do me a favor, the second part of this episode will be about ancient coinage, specifically the coins minted by Alexander the Great. First things first. Gatya. You thought this was going to be the next episode I promised at the end of episode 121. Instead, all you got was this reminder to buy a t-shirt from historyofpersiapodcast.com. Secondly, announcements do not count as episodes. So there are still three numbered episodes to go before the episode 125 Ask Me Anything. Send your questions about history, podcasting, me and especially Alexander and the Achaemenids to historyofpersiapodcast.com, my social media, or historyofpersiapodcast at gmail.com. Now we can go on to the real announcements, and I don't know what to say besides this is a big one. A few weeks ago, I announced my new project, America Secret Wars. Another podcast that will explore the often forgotten, overlooked, or deliberately masked wars between the United States and other nations. When I aired that trailer for the first time, I did promise to explain a bit more later. Well, now is later. Most importantly, this does not mean that the history of Persia is ending. I appreciate that the timing might have made it look that way, but it's really just how everything shook out by coincidence. I'm not a generally superstitious person, but History of Persia launched in February of 2019, and another February launch date just felt auspicious. Maybe I have been reading too many ancient Greek stories. America Secret Wars is a project born out of my own combination of casual historical interest outside Iran, 
several years of developing social and political anxieties, and just general awareness and reading about the history of the U.S. Navy after my brother enlisted in 2020. For the half or so of the audience that isn't in the United States, the standard line we are taught in school is basically that from the end of our war for independence until the Second World War, the USA kept to itself and didn't have a large army because of an initial distrust of powerful domestic militaries. That is sort of true. There wasn't a large standing army all the time. We were just crawling with militias organized by each of the individual states in the Union and had a comically globe-trotting navy and marine element. There are dozens of small conflicts, punitive campaigns, invasions, and threats made in the U.S. military's history that just get ignored in most coverage. You probably do know that the United States fought Japan, Korea, and China. But how many of you knew we did that in the mid-19th century? What about our post-colonial battles with Britain, France, and Spain, or the Ottoman Empire? Then, after World War II, the U.S. got involved in so many places, it's no wonder that most people can't keep track. And then there are the dozens of sovereign nations that were in modern American territory well before it was called American. We don't seem to like talking about our own wars of conquest and colonization. That's the sort of thing I want to explore in this new show. I do have to be upfront about something else. Secret Wars is going to be a very different sort of history podcast from what History of Persia listeners are used to. For one thing, it's not my expertise in the same way that ancient history is. I didn't focus on American history academically. The types of sources are very different. This podcast will span the whole world in terms of geography and language, and I can't possibly be as familiar with all of them as I am with ancient Iran. This will have to be a more casual sort of podcast. What I do have, that other non-specialist podcasts often do not, is training in how to engage with history, find sources, and interpret them. So I'm not flying blind. To help with that casual approach, I'm going to bring on guests for this new adventure and take a more comedic approach in the vein of shows like Behind the Bastards, Lions Led by Donkeys, or Rex Factor So You Think You Can Rule Persia, and the rest of the Rexypod subgenre. I tell the story, they react, ask questions, and provide color commentary and we'll make fun of the more ridiculous things in history together, like Spider-Man attempting to annex Taiwan. The comedy with guests approach should also help both me and the audience not suffer from the existential dread that would come from just reading about a lot of this stuff. That also means that secret wars will be flagged as explicit. 
I have no interest in inserting all the bleeps necessary or hacking apart a conversation to clean it up, but I have all the interest in dropping F-bombs as a way to emphasize my point and making dick jokes. Just a heads up so that it's not a total culture shock when you switch over. Of course, I know this format isn't going to appeal to everyone who listens to History of Persia, but I do hope you all join me in the Secret Wars feed, secretwarspod.com, and wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. If not, History of Persia will keep going to the end of antiquity or the heat death of the universe, whichever happens first. On that note, I do have a few more directly History of Persia-related announcements. Though, given the size of undertaking a new show, they're all still kinda related. To anybody out there waiting for that pesky ad maintenance warning that's been sitting in the podcast description to go away or has just skipped ahead to avoid dealing with it before re-listening to the early episodes, most of that will be resolved now. At time of recording, everything beyond episode 40 is good to go, and I am going to sit down and deal with the rest right after I post this. I tried various things first before having to do it the old-fashioned way and manually edit the entire back catalog up to January of 2023, which was a time-consuming process all on its own. On the bright side, I can definitively say that I have improved over time. In addition to that, the remastered episodes are actually going to start coming out, for anybody that forgot about my lackluster announcement last time I made it, I have now lost the first 12 episodes worth of recordings twice, once in their original form and again in their remastered form due to computer crashes. Re-remastering them has just been such a depressing project that it hasn't gotten done, but they are coming. If you go to historyofpersiapodcast.com in the next week or so, you may find a surprise. I have completely redone the website from the ground up, and while I'm sure I'll still be tweaking it over the next couple of months, it is largely complete and revamped as a website for all of Hopful Media to accommodate the introduction of Secret Wars. I took this approach for a couple of reasons. Most importantly, if History of Persia remains separate, then Secret Wars would also need to be separate, and I really don't want to maintain three websites when one will do just fine. For the 99% or so of listeners who never visit the website, this probably doesn't mean anything to you, and anybody who does try to go to historyofpersiapodcast.com will just go straight to the new website, redirecting to hopfulmedia.com. That said, if you are a long-time listener, and you've been using a link or a bookmark from the old historyofpersiapodcast.wordpress.com days, that will no longer take you to the live website. But there will be a link on the old version to redirect you. On the financial side of things, 
Thank you all so much. You are the best audience anybody could ever ask for. I am so, so sorry. Patreon has rightfully been feeling somewhat neglected recently for a few reasons. If you're waiting on a sticker, it's coming. But I had to change suppliers for that, and it's been harder than I expected. Bonus episodes will resume with a rapid-fire drop sometime in March as I desperately attempt to get caught up. Reading vast amounts of historical fiction seemed like a great idea when I came up with it, but in retrospect, that took way too long. That said, Patreon is also getting a full-body makeover to accommodate Secret Wars. Like the website, I don't want to manage more than one of these, especially because Patreon doesn't make it very easy to do. Instead, I will be tweaking some of the categories to give you access to benefits for both shows. I will cross-post the first couple episodes of Secret Wars into the History of Persia feed as part of the promotion for the new show, and also to give myself time to figure out how exactly to add a distinct Secret Wars bonus feed on Patreon. You'd think with all the podcast networks out there that would be easy, but it is not. Moving on from Patreon, I will also be updating the merch store to make room for new Hellenistic designs and Secret Wars swag. The most popular Achaemenid designs will still be available in a basic selection of t-shirts and other items, but if you want the full range of colors and styles, Get them before they're gone. I'll post another announcement when the new designs are ready for launch, probably sometime over the summer. That's it for new stuff announcements. So I'll throw in an ad and come back with the coins of Alexander the Great. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing me with samples. Allergies. There are few things that make me feel worse more frequently. There are a few times a year when the trees bloom, pollen turns everything yellow, and my sinuses just seem to stop working. I feel miserable. I can't sleep without tossing and turning every few minutes. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for my worst allergy symptoms for probably 18 years, and it's an absolute game changer. I can fall asleep and still feel like I am able to breathe. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. 
Now that I've asked you to do me a favor, let's talk about history. We've talked about all sorts of coinage in the past, and I actually want to offer a major correction going all the way back to episode 5 of the main show, and the very first announcement back in 2019 when I launched the Patreon. Those were the episodes where I talked about the old Lydian coinage, simple oblong bits of metal stamped with the image of a bull's and lion's heads. The more famous Lydian coinage, and the very first true currency in the Mediterranean world, is the Cresid, gold and silver coins first minted under Croesus, the final Lydian king deposed by Cyrus the Great. Prior to the Cresid, the same design was used by his father Aliates, on small tokens made from Electrum, an alloy of gold and silver these tokens weren't initially minted to be used as money, an idea that didn't even exist in that region at the time. But people probably started using them to exchange for goods and services, developing into a de facto currency. Croesus formalized this, but to do so, he also had to ensure that his new coins would have a consistent gold or silver content so he started minting almost pure gold or pure silver creases that could be regulated and standardized. For almost 200 years at this point, the standard interpretation by historians has been that someone in Lydia developed a technique to separate the gold and silver from naturally occurring electrum deposits, enabling this leap forward in the history of money. That is what I said five years ago, and there are plenty of history books that will still repeat that story today, with historians stretching back to the mid-1800s as their citations. However, more recent scholarship relying on the arcane witchcraft of chemistry and geology has pointed out a flaw in that interpretation. Lydia didn't have very many actual electrum deposits, but it did have almost perfectly pure gold available in its rivers. As it turns out, the silver content in most Aliatid coins actually contains trace minerals that can be tracked back to mines in other regions, like mainland Greece. It seems that Aliatis was actually producing Electrum tokens on purpose by having his smiths alloy gold and silver themselves, rather than using naturally occurring alloys. Some Greek city-states in northern Anatolia even continued doing this with their own local currency well into the Achaemenid period. We don't really know why Aliates was doing this. These tokens weren't intended to be currency, so it may be as simple as the Electrum produced the color he wanted, as rational as using silver to debase the gold and stretch his own reserves, or anything in between and a mixture of factors. What is clear is that the traditional narrative of how coinage developed in Lydia is probably wrong and the transition from Electrum Aliatids to true gold and silver creases 
followed a much different path than we previously thought. The basic idea of the Creased, of course, gave rise to Achaemenid, Dorix, and Sigloi, as well as the vast array of Greek coins, largely minted on silver that I talked about last time I made an announcement. So we fast forward to the reign of Philip II of Macedon. A half dozen weight standards and measurements dictated the exact value of coins in the Greek world, with the Athenian Attic standard being the most popular and most reliable in foreign markets. It was so reliable that Athenian coins, or copies minted elsewhere, became the de facto currency in Egypt and were even starting to gain a foothold in Babylonian markets. Under Philip, Macedon was still using its own standard of weight for their coinage. The most common and least valuable coins minted during his time were small bronze issues. Alongside Philip's silver coinage, which was minted on the Macedonian drachma standard. Macedon had sizable gold mines of its own, but after capturing the major mines in Amphipolis, Philip also started minting golden coins. But rather than using the Macedonian weight system, these gold issues were minted as Athenian staters, with smaller quarter staters to encourage more routine use of Macedonian gold in day-to-day -day trade. The quarter stater featured a large goblet, a bow, and a war club on the reverse, and the face of the hero god Heracles with the Nemean lion's mythical pelt draped over his head on the obverse. Specifically, this was Heracles Kunagidas, meaning Heracles the Hunter, a version of the hero depicted as a young man who served as the patron god of young men and hunting parties. The full-sized stator featured the face of Apollo, god of the arts, on the front, and a charioteer on the reverse, both celebrating Philip's victory in the Olympic Games. When Alexander became king, he shifted all of Macedon's coinage over to the Athenian weight standard, and in fact he shifted as many of the mints in his empire as he could to that Attic weight and had them all mint the same set of coins, establishing the first true imperial currency system that spanned from tiny bronze coins that anybody could use in daily life all the way up to massive golden staters and even eventually double staters, twice the size and twice the value of the largest coins normally minted up to that era. As Alexander conquered more and more territory, some of his camp followers were functionaries and officials carrying Attic standard weights and designs to produce new dyes and mint Alexander's official coinage all across Anatolia, Egypt, and the Levant apparently starting to phase out the Achaemenid coins and other local currencies. The small bronze coins minted under Alex featured the same design as his father's quarter stator, probably because they already had many of those dyes, which could be used to produce 
many bronze coins of a similar size, just less valuable due to the material. This would help quickly shift the most frequently used coins over to the Attic weight system. Alexander embraced his mythical ancestors in coinage just like he did in most of his life philosophy, and used a similar image of Heracles Kunagidas as the obverse on his silver drachma, as well as the fractional and greater value silver coins on the same standard. The reverse side now featured an image of Zeus sitting on a throne with an eagle resting in his outstretched palm and a royal scepter in the other hand. If that reverse design sounds familiar, it should. A very similar design was used by Datames of Cappadocia during the Great Satraps Revolt. Lastly, Alexander minted golden staters, double staters, and smaller gold coins in ever greater numbers as he captured the vast gold reserves of the Persian Empire. These featured an all-new design that emphasized both the Greek, rather than particularly Macedonian, character of his new empire, and Alexander's military ambition. The obverse showed the face of Athena, goddess of warfare, tactics, and craftsmanship, a popular icon of southern Greece but a relatively recent favorite up in Macedon. The reverse featured Nike, or Nike, goddess of victory, soaring on large, angelic wings with a naval banner in one hand and a laurel wreath worn as a crown by victors in the other, symbolizing victory on land and sea. Part of Alexander's effort to unify and solidify his conquests as one unified territory was the transition of his whole domain over to this new standard of currency. But as the army went further east, that plan ran into a problem. Mesopotamia, Central Asia, and Iran were just barely starting to adopt a currency economy. Coins were still mostly traded for their metal value alongside raw materials, and there simply weren't mints for the conquerors to take over. However, the Persians were aware of this as well, and they were just starting to make the change themselves when Alexander invaded. In Babylon, a mint had at least been constructed, and it may have started production before the Battle of Galgamela. This would have been one of many projects in place under Darius III, and was likely an idea formulated under Artaxerxes III, but opening a new mint in a region still getting used to coinage in general took lots of time. It's not clear whether or not it was functional before Alexander took over. The clearest sign that this was an Achaemenid project rather than an Alexandrian one is that the Babylonian mint had unique stamps to mint a new type of Achaemenid coin, a large and highly valuable double daric that only reached wider circulation after Alexander's death, when the Macedonian Empire just had to accept that they would need to keep circulating the Achaemenid standard alongside the Attic coins until there was more infrastructure in place. 
Listeners who are vaguely familiar with Alexandrian coins may already have noticed that there are two somewhat famous designs I haven't mentioned. Many coins in the late 4th and early 3rd centuries featured two other images on the obverse side. One was the face of Alexander himself with ram's horns curling behind his ears, a symbol of the Greco-Egyptian hybrid god Zeus Amon that Alexander claimed had revealed his own divinity at the Siwa Oasis. The other was another version of Heracles Kunagidas, but with a face that looks suspiciously similar to Alexander as well. More accurately, these coins had the face that Alexander is usually given in artwork, with slim, delicate features, almost elven. Frankly, it looks a lot like Link from Legend of Zelda, rather than the blocky face of the pieces of art that we think were actually contemporary to Alexander's life. These designs, both the more effete Alexander and the depictions of Zeus Amon and Heracles with his face, are mostly posthumous issues, playing on Alexander's fame and divinity as a symbol, the way earlier coins featured the traditional Greek gods. Despite that, those coins are some of the most well-known depictions of Alexander from antiquity. In the last 120 or so episodes of this podcast, which correspond to 230 years of narrative almost exactly, I have done five of these announcements with mini-episodes about the evolution of currency in the Persian Empire. But that's done for the next 550 years. What I can only estimate will be the next two or three hundred episodes of the show. After Alexander's empire collapsed, some of the breakaway states adopted different currency standards. But the part we will focus on, the Seleucid Empire and the Parthian Empire that conquered them, retained the same basic Attic system developed in 6th century Athens and spread across Western Asia by Alexander the Great. By the end of the 4th century, the old system of Doric's and Sigloi, supplemented by local mints, was phased out entirely, and a Grecian currency economy was gradually spread from the Mediterranean to the Hindu Kush. There will be other coinage-related topics, like debasement or numismatic chronology, that I will use in these announcement episodes. But this is basically the final stage of development for West Asian coinage, and one of Alexander's longest-lasting impacts on the former Achaemenid Empire. Keep an eye on this feed tomorrow, and if Secret Wars doesn't satisfy your palate, we will return to discuss Alexander's family and love life. But until then... If you want more information about this podcast, you can go to historyofpersiapodcast.com. That's where you will find my bibliography, the Achaemenid family tree, and plenty of other things, including the support page, to financially support this project. 
There are all sorts of ways to do that, but most importantly, there's patreon.com slash historyofpersia. You can sign up for a monthly subscription ranging from $1 to $20, and access to things like ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and discounted merchandise. Even if you don't want to subscribe, you can also visit the show's store, either through historyofpersiapodcast.com or historyofpersia.launchcart.com. You can also support this show for free by leaving a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. I always love to see your feedback, but even better than that, tell your friends to listen to the History of Persia. Share it on social media at History of Persia Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads, and just History of Persia on Twitter, and everything else that's trying to be Twitter. Thank you all so much for listening to The History of Persia. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.